following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. This morning we'll be in uh, Exodus chapter 4. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we'll be in chapter 4, verse 18. Or you can follow along on the screen as I read. Exodus 4.18 Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Certainly a lot of uh, interesting stuff in this passage. I'm sure you're all thinking, well, this is going to be interesting. Uh, Hopefully it will be. Um, Well, thank you. Um, maybe you've heard this uh, popular quote. The hardest part of any journey is taking the first step. Um, popular quote. I don't know that it's actually true always. Uh, I remember when I ran my first marathon, I'm promising you that the first step was not the hardest. Uh, it was those last four miles of steps that just about killed me. Right. Uh, but it is true that if you don't take the first step, you, you will never get to the finish line. And often it can take a huge amount of energy and, and will, and, and it's a struggle to take that first step. Uh, so, so why is it so hard? Well, of course, uh, it's not hard when the thing we're taking the step to is fun or easy. So, for example, that first step to, you know, Cold Stone ice cream, not hard. That first step to watch your favorite movie, not hard. This afternoon... 
I'm going to take a nap. I just feel it. You know, it's kind of my tradition. The step to, you know, to the bed, it's pretty easy, right? When it's easy, it's not, it's not hard. Um, the reality, though, that, that oftentimes it's difficult because the goal that's before us is not that instant, right? It's not that accessible. Uh, or it may be something that we perceive as being very difficult or filled with huge obstacles that are in our way before we can achieve the goal. And in those cases, uh, the first step can be very difficult. In fact, we oftentimes will find ways to procrastinate because the task can just seem so overwhelming. And that would be true, really, of most of the goals, if not all of the goals that, that we face in the Christian life. Right? Uh, the task before us as believers uh, in our walk of faith it is a long task and a long road. It's, it's more like a marathon than a nap. <laughs> and so uh, it can be difficult to take that first step. Uh, it's easy to talk about the, the things we're supposed to do as a Christian. It's easy to talk about the big goals of the Christian life. Reach the lost for Christ. Reach Thailand for Christ. Make disciples of the nations. You know, be a, a real prayer warrior. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Um, love my neighbor as myself and worship God with all my heart. Right? Those are easy things to say. And so we, we say them often. We, we like to talk about these things. Uh, and sometimes we can, we can get deluded into the fact that because we talk about this a lot, we're actually doing it. Right? But that's not true. Um, just because we, we talk about these things doesn't mean that we're really accomplishing them in our life. And so it's fair to ask the question, and we should all be asking it of ourselves. Am I accomplishing these important goals in my life? Right? Am, I, am I making steps to do these things? Are they things that are true of me? Um, and one of the reasons, if, if we would be honest and say, well, no, I, I don't know that I'm really accomplishing these goals. Uh, one reason is that we're not taking clear and specific steps that are necessary to get there, to reach that goal. Right, we need clear and specific steps. Um, and so in this context, it may well be that the most important step or the most difficult step really is the first one. Right? Getting started in that direction and taking steps towards those goals. Well, certainly the, the situation here with, with Moses. And uh, we've been looking at Moses at the burning bush um, at the burning bush, God tells Moses to go to Egypt and to deliver the people. To go to Moses or go to Pharaoh, say, "Pharaoh, God's done. It's time for the Israelites to leave. I'm, 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 we're packing up and we're heading out." Um, but as, as you reflect on what goes on at the burning bush, Moses is quite reluctant about this whole thing, right? And throughout the whole encounter with God. Um, Moses is not sure about this, and he's filled with doubt and uncertainty, and he's questioning God. Uh, at the end, God finally gets a little angry with Moses, uh, says, go, just I want you to go. And it kind of ends abruptly and suddenly, and we don't really know uh, how Moses responded. Well, we do know that uh, between where the mountain of God was, wherever exactly that was, and where where his family was in Midian was a bit of a journey, perhaps up to a couple weeks. So uh, as Moses travels back, he's got time to think about and consider what God has spoken to him. 
what is he going to do about God's command, God's instructions? Uh, well, it's encouraging to see that, that what he decides when he gets back to Midian is uh, regardless of how impossible this seems to Moses, regardless of how incapable or inadequate he feels about his abilities, regardless of his, of his doubts about God's ability and what God could really do, Moses takes the first step. Right? When he gets back, what he does is he commits to take the first step towards what God has assigned him to do. Uh, so let's look at, at, at his first step, or actually it's a couple steps that he takes. Uh, the first one, it is a step in the right direction. Uh, we could say it is a step of faith, really. Um, it says, when Moses gets back from the mountain of God, he gets back home to Midian, and he approaches Jethro and he says to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And in that statement, we see that Moses makes a firm commitment to go, right? To start making plans and preparations. In fact, this is uh, making preparations and he's committed himself, right? He's talked to his father-in-law and just by stating it, he's really committed himself to this plan of action. Now, uh, it's not apparent that Moses makes this with a great deal of faith, right? Notice what Moses does not say. Moses does not say to Jethro, God has met me, and I am returning to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and demand the release of my fellow Israelites because God has told me he's going to deliver Israel. That would be a statement of faith. Right? What does Moses actually say? Uh, I'd like to go back to Egypt and see if my family's still alive. Right? Not exactly the same. Right? Not boiling over with huge faith. But regardless of what Moses feels, he has committed to take the first step. And the first step is to return to Egypt. Um, What Moses thinks will happen there, how he thinks it will go, we're not clear. But he he does what is necessary, and he takes the first step in that direction. Um, As we go through this, uh, this passage, it's very interesting that we see on the one hand, what Moses does, and then it's met with something that God does, right? And so uh, it starts with Moses, and Moses needs to initiate it, and so he does. He initiates that first, that first step, and it really is a step of faith. Now, by that, I don't mean that Moses felt so much faith and so much confidence in what God was going to do that it was easy for him to say, wow, God's going to use me to redeem Israel, and I'm so confident that God's going to do this. It's easy for me to start packing my bags and start heading towards Egypt. Um, And, you know, in our own life, I think this is how we think, this is at least my own life, this is how I I want faith to work, right? It's like, God, you called me to do these things, and when you so bolster me, you so fortify me with faith, that it's easy for me, then I'll start taking steps in that direction. Anybody feel that way? It's like, God, when you, when you supply all the money, when you bring along all the help, when you open the door so wide that, you know, a herd of a thousand cattle could walk through it, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk through that door with confidence. I'm gonna step out in faith. Right? But I'm telling you that, 
that almost never, ever happens, right? Instead, God tells us to do something. He calls us to something. He gives us instructions. He puts on our heart a burden. We get this idea that we're supposed to go in a certain direction. And we don't feel very confident. Right? We feel this is impossible. Right? This is, God, why are you, like Moses, God, why are you calling me? I can't do this. Right? God, why would these people listen? Why, why would this work? Right? What's wrong with you, God? Right? Um, so how, how do we exercise faith when we feel so inadequate and so uncertain? Well, the reality is that faith is not a feeling. Faith, especially in its early phases, is very much an action. And when we take action, gradually the feelings will come, right? As we see God work, as we start stepping out in faith, God will start to work. But that first step is tough because it is, it is just that. It is a step of blind faith where uh, often our feelings um, are not there. Right? We, we don't feel it. But we say, I, 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 you know, I think God's calling to me this. I'm going to commit to do something. I'm going to commit to take the first step. And that's exactly what, uh, what Moses does. What does that look like in our life? Uh, well, thankfully, none of us are being asked to go to the Pharaoh of Egypt and, you know, confront him to let people go, right? But um, what, what is God calling you to do? I think right now in Thailand, as Thai people grieve the loss of their king, and, and in many respects the loss of what they believe Thailand is as a country. Right? They're, they're hurting and they're grieving and they're confused. It's a great time to step out and come alongside those people. But it might be kind of scary. And maybe you don't know a lot of Thai people. Maybe you don't know your neighbors. Uh, but why not you know, bake some cookies Go to some Thai person in your neighborhood who you don't even know, knock on their door and say, hey, you know, we want to just you, you know that we care about you and about Thailand. Can you tell us what, you know, the king means to you? Right? Just open up a relationship, minister to them. Uh, maybe the step means just scheduling to have lunch with an unbelieving friend uh, with the purpose of sharing with them your testimony. And you schedule, you call them on the phone. Hey, you know, can we have lunch? And, and this lunch, I really would like to, for you to know, like, how I came to be a Christian. Would that be okay? Like, you commit yourself, right? When you say that, you committed yourself, right? Who turns down a free lunch, right? Um, uh, maybe it means inviting a middle school student or a new believer who's young in Christ to copy, to ask them, hey, could we study the Bible together? Can I take the time to show you a little bit about what I know from God's Word, right? Um, maybe it means today, right now, taking out your phone and scheduling one day this month where you're going to set aside the whole day to just pray and fast and be in His Word. And I don't know what it is, but faith is taking that step of commitment to do something that you know God is calling you to. It means... Stepping out with action. And that's what Moses does. And what's cool is God, as, as Moses does, then God responds. God does something. And it says in verse 18, um, Jethro said to Moses, uh, go in peace, right? 
And then God shows up and it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Right? So Moses takes the first step and God comes and God uh, essentially starts opening the door for Moses. You know, there's peace, there's blessing from Jethro. So he has permission and blessing to leave. And uh, God assures him that, you know, the people who wanted to kill, kill you, they're all dead, right? So when you go back, there's no, there's no wanted posters, right? They've all been taken down. You're, you're free men. You, you will arrive in safety. So God starts assuring Moses um, as he steps out in faith. Um, story, the, the text goes on. So verse 20, So Moses took his wife and his sons and, and put them on a donkey. And they went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Second thing we see, God, Moses took, took a step of faith. But we see Moses really now also taking a step of surrender. And if you remember last, last Sunday, we talked about Really, that's what it came down to at the burning bush. God was asking Moses, will you submit and surrender your life to me? Will you put the control of your life in my hand and let me control your future? To do that, you have to let go of it. You have to let go of what's in your control and power and let me take over. And somewhere between the mountain of God and the burning bush and Midian, uh, Moses did make that commitment, right? He wasn't willing to at first, uh, and we don't know if it was God's anger that flared up or what, but something worked in Moses. And we see him when he, when he packs the U-Haul and he gets all of his possessions, he puts his family, you know, on the donkey and he starts, starts towards Egypt. Uh, that in itself is also an act of surrender, right? Um, his going is his submission to God. And it's significant that as he goes, it says he takes with him the staff, but it's no longer Moses' staff, right? It is whose staff? It's the staff of God, right? He has consciously said, this no longer belongs to me. Right? I've laid it down and now it, it's in the control and hands of God. Uh, I'm going as his vessel. Um, there's probably nothing easier in the Christian life than to speak words of surrender. And in fact, we sing these in worship all the time. I surrender. And we're, I think we're going to sing it this morning. Right? I surrender. So easy to say those words. But much like faith, surrender is more than just speaking it. Right? Surrender is not saying, God, I give you my life. I give you my all. No. True surrender, like true faith, requires steps of action. And when Moses starts walking, taking step by step uh, down the road to Egypt, it is a walk of surrender, of laying down his life, of laying down everything that he knew in Midian and saying, God, as I go down this road, it is my act of surrender. Uh, and he, he designates it even by, by how he identifies what used to be his, right? No longer his rod, it's now God's. So as Moses does that, as he takes those steps of commitment, of, of dedication, of surrender, God again meets him. And in verse 21 it says this, The Lord said to Moses, the Lord appears to him again, we don't know if it's in a vision, in a dream, it doesn't say how, but the Lord comes to Moses and again he speaks to him. 
When you go back to Egypt, make sure you do before Pharaoh all that I put in your power to do. So God, again, He meets him and He starts by repeating the instructions. Okay, just to be clear, um, Moses, don't, don't forget, this is your job. Your job is to speak what I give you to speak and to do what I have put in your power to do. Uh, Moses may be thinking of, you know, the cool trick with the staff turning into a snake. God is thinking much bigger, right? Uh, Moses has no idea what's, his, what's in his power to do. God says, don't worry about that. You just do what I give you power to do. And that's, that's your simple task and your job. But then beyond that, God, God gives uh, further revelation, further insight into how this is going to go. He says, you do all that, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Uh, I'm going to make him so stubborn that he is absolutely not going to let the people go. I'm sure Moses is saying, well, ho, ho, whoa, whoa, God. Um, no, this is not the plan, right? This is, this is exactly what I said would happen, right? Don't tell me this, right? But God continues on. Uh, um, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. God starts unfolding what is, how far this is going to go. Um, lots of questions, and we could talk a lot about how and why God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Uh, we will talk about it, just not this morning. <laughs> so you'll have to come back for further insight, right? Um, the simple short answer for now, though, that's important for Moses to know is that it's not going to go well, but it's not going to go well because of Pharaoh, ultimately. That ultimately the one behind it all that's, that's making this difficult is actually God himself. God says, I'm the one who's in control of Pharaoh, even Pharaoh's heart. Uh, and the, the Egyptians believed, um, like in many countries, that the king is, is semi-divine or divine. That, that the king had such divine power and sovereignty that, that they were in total control of their country and of even the gods. And, and, and God says, no, actually, most, uh, Pharaoh's not even in charge of his own heart. I'm in charge of his heart. I'm in control. And I'm going to do things. I'm going to mess with Pharaoh's head. And I'm going to make sure he is as stubborn and as unmoving as possible. Because I have a plan in this. And I'm going to take this to its very end. And this is the end. Uh, it's going to be his son for my son. It's going to be Pharaoh's son for my son. And for the first time in the Old Testament, God identifies Israel, his people, as his firstborn son. And there's really two remarkable thoughts here that we need to, to think about. First uh, is the reality that God would call Israel his firstborn son. All of Israel, his firstborn son. It describes the nature and kind of relationship that God intended to have with his people. If they had been captive as slaves, they would not be any longer slaves even to God. They would serve him, but ultimately they would serve him as firstborn sons. Uh, and a firstborn son in, in that culture and in that time was a place of special privilege because they were the, 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 the primary heir of the father's estate. And it was also a place of special responsibility 
as they were uh, responsible, kind of the chief representative uh, of, of the family's affairs and the, and the father's business. And so uh, giving Israel that title is, a, is, a, is elevating them to the place of highest status in God's heart and thinking. Uh, the second remarkable thing in this, though, is that uh, God intended for this to go so far that it would, it would, it would require Pharaoh uh, to lose his own son. God says, if you, if you refuse me, which you will, in the end, it will, it will come at the price of, of me killing your firstborn son, the son that is most dear and precious to you, Pharaoh. And not only to Pharaoh, but to all, all of Egypt, as they would lose their firstborn sons. Um, and in essence, what God says here is, look, the, my, my children are slaves, and I am going to purchase them out of slavery, which in that time was, was something you could do. You could buy your way out of slavery. And that's really the root of the meaning of the word redemption. Right? Redemption means to buy something out of bondage. God says, I am going to buy Israel out of bondage. But guess who's going to pay the redemption price? Pharaoh's going to pay the redemption price. The supreme ruler of Egypt is going to pay the price of redemption to set the Israelites free. And it is for us just an incredible picture of our redemption. right? Because we are slaves in bondage to sin and death. Right? And we need to be purchased out of our slavery. Uh, and God has determined to redeem us. But who pays the redemption price? Well, the supreme ruler of all of heaven and earth. Right? God himself pays the purchase price by, by sending his very own son right, to die for us um, so that we could be restored as God's firstborn son. It's an amazing thing. But that's the kind of relationship God wants with you and I. Uh, to be elevated uh, higher than any other beings except only his own son Jesus. Right? And God wants to elevate us to an equal place with Jesus. Not in our being, not that we're you know, infinite, but in terms of his affection and care for us. That's where he wants us to be. That that place, that space in his heart that's reserved for his son would be a place that's reserved for you and I. Right? Do we have, does, you know, did Israel have any idea how much God loved them? Likewise, do we have any idea how much God loves and cares for us? Uh, he wants to know us as his, as his most loved children. And he makes it possible through uh, the sacrifice of his firstborn son, Jesus. Right, so again, Moses is, is taking steps, and each step, see, God is, is meeting him. Right? And, and it doesn't say, but I, I imagine that this has to be encouraging for Moses. right? Uh, he's stepping out in faith, and, and God's meeting him. God's speaking to him. God's helping him. Things seem to be going quite well. right? And uh, every step he gets closer to Egypt, maybe his burden's getting a little lighter. He's getting a little more faith, 
a little more confidence. Things are going well, right? And then we come to verse 24. The most insane verse in all of Exodus, and not the Bible, right? Moses is stepping out on faith. Moses is on his way. He's submitting to God. He's yielding up his life. Uh, he may not be bursting with faith yet, but he's, he's taking those steps. And what does God do? God tries to kill him. Right? Verse 24. At a, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What in the world is this about? Uh, man, did I, did I miss something somewhere? Right? Uh, I've titled this point, um, you know, your first step could be your last. Um, and this is kind of how it is. You know, you follow God and it could cost you your life. Right? It could be deadly. Um, and it certainly seems to be that way for Moses. What in the world is this all about? Um, well, this verse is full of all kinds of huge difficulties to translate. Uh, and just to give you an idea, kind of some of the complexities, let me give you a very literal translation. Right? Um, and if you'll notice as I read through it, it never names Moses in this passage. Right? Let me read a very little, little translation. And it happened on the way in the lodging place. Yahweh met him, whoever that is, and sought to kill him. And Zipporah took, Zipporah took a stone and cut off her son's foreskin and caused it to touch his feet. Again, we don't know who he, his feet are. And she said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And he pulled back from him. Then she said, a bridegroom of blood for the circumcision. Okay, that's the literal clear as mud, right? Right. And there's some there's some huge questions in this verse. Uh, first of all, uh, it does not say who God is trying to kill. A lot of translations, your Bible, Bible might say God tried to kill Moses. Okay, that's an interpreter. That's a translator's interpretation. It doesn't actually say that. Okay, we don't know if God's trying to kill Moses or Moses' son. Doesn't say. Second problem, it doesn't say who his feet are. Or what that means. Right? And there's some other textual things I, don't, I won't go into because I'm just not going to talk about it. Number three, uh, it does not identify who the bridegroom of blood is. And to complicate things further, the, trans, the, the phrase could be translated blood relative. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be a bridegroom. Uh, so again, it could be about Moses or his son. Um, and lastly, is being called a bridegroom of blood or a blood relative good or bad? Right? Now I'm thinking if my wife calls me that, it's probably not good. But 3,000 years ago, uh, was it good or bad? Well, we don't know. Right? We don't know. Um, and the sad reality is that uh, there are no good answers for those questions. Right? Um, I could give you that there's good arguments on both sides that God's trying to kill Moses, God's trying to kill his son. Honestly, I don't know. We don't know. Uh, so, so can we just like skip this passage and move on to the next thing? All those in favor? Okay, well, no, we can't do that. So, uh, so what do we know? What do we know from these verses? Well, there are some things we can know, uh, and they are important, and they really do uh, tell us enough to understand what this is about. Uh, this is what we know. We know, first off, that Moses failed to circumcise his firstborn son, Gershom. 
right? And we know that because his wife does it. So obviously it hadn't been done yet. It's not something you can do twice. Okay, you can get one shot at this. Okay, so uh, we know it hadn't been done. Uh, second thing we know is that this is the one and only requirement of the Abrahamic, co- Abrahamic covenant, God's covenant with Abraham. Right. So far, the Israelites had been given one command, and it was to what? To circumcise all of your sons. Right. So Moses has one command he's got he's responsible for, and he he hasn't done it. One. Right. And he can't even do that. Right. So that that is a problem. We also know uh, from Genesis that the consequence or the price of failure to circumcise your sons was that they would be cut off from the people of Israel. You were kicked out of the tribe. You were excommunicated from membership as an Israelite. So one command with one very serious consequence. And Moses had not done it. He had failed to carry out this one command. And, and Moses knew, right? Moses knew. Uh, he'd been exposed to enough of his Hebrew roots that he knew this was required. Um, last thing we know is this. We know for certain that God is a just and fair God. And it's interesting that in just the, the verses right before this, God says, I'm going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son because he's stubborn and disobedient. Right? And he's, he's resisting me. And you see, God is a God who is fair and equal in all of his judgments. Um, God holds one standard, and that standard is the same for Pharaoh as it is for Moses. God says, Moses, you're being disobedient. You are not following through with the instructions I've given you. You You are in many ways just as stubborn as Pharaoh. And it's going to cost you. And we don't know if it was his own life or if God was about to kill Gershom, his son. We don't know. The point is, there were serious consequences for his stubbornness and rebellion and disobedience. There would be judgment unless there is repentance, unless there is a dealing with this sin. Moses was guilty of sin and and there would be consequences. Um, And it's important to remember that uh, you know, he did surrender his life. He was taking steps of faith. But faith and surrender do not cover over blatant disobedience. Um, and here's a reality, and I, I know this from my own life and experience. Often, when you start making a commitment to truly follow Christ, you, you, you take those steps of faith and surrender. You start um, laying your life before God. You start... You know, getting back into the Word like you're supposed to. You start sharing your faith like you know you're supposed to. You start trying to do the things you know God's calling you to. Oftentimes, one of the first things that you will confront is God will bring like a freight train in front of you, sin in your life, right? Uh, Sin that you have neglected and ignored. There may be things in your past that you did not confess or things that in your present that you're still clinging to. But uh, I'm telling you, God will not let you get away without dealing with those things if you're going to be serious about following Him. Right? He needs holy vessels. And so He will deal with sin in our life. Our sins will find 
us out. Right? God will not just sweep those things under the rug. Right? He will confront us with these things in our life that are not pleasing to him. And that's what he does to Moses. Um, but thankfully, uh, uh, there's a way to make it right. And uh, in, in, in this case, it's actually his wife Zipporah who does it. Which I find very fascinating and uh, very insightful and hopeful for us. Now, I don't know if Moses didn't do this. Like, what was Moses' deal? Was he like really squeamish, afraid of blood? You know, I'm, I'm not sure I could do this, you know. I'm just not sure I could do this either. And maybe, you know, maybe he fainted when he saw blood. Or I don't, I don't know why, what, what his thing was, right? But for some reason, Moses couldn't do this. He couldn't do it. Uh, so Zipporah steps in and she does what Moses cannot or will not. Right? She circumcises her son. Um, uh, we don't know how she knew it was about to happen, but she, she knows and she intervenes and she does what Moses is unwilling to do. Um, and, and apparently, you know, she, her father, uh, Jethro, was a priest of Midian. And even though he had a house full of girls, um, as priest, he would have been the one who carried out this religious ritual, which was practiced in Midian. Like the Jews, the Midianites practiced circumcision. It's very likely that Zipporah had seen this ritual done many times. And so what's described here is really uh, her, most likely her, going through the ceremony of circumcising her son. But it's not just done as a, um, a medical procedure. It's done as a religious ceremony. It's a ritual. And so she does and says and touches things and says things in fulfillment of this ritual because she recognizes that God needs to be appeased in this. It's directed towards God. Uh, so when she says it's a, it's a bridegroom of blood, uh, most likely that was part of the ritual. It was part of describing, and it was what needed to be said. Um, and so it's not, most likely, it's not a condemnation of Moses. It may not even be directed at Moses, right? She's just carrying out this ritual. Um, regardless of, of how it all worked, which we don't know or understand, regardless of what all these phrases mean, the, the bottom line and the point is this. Um, we cannot go forward. Moses certainly would not go forward uh, until uh, the sin in his life was dealt with. Um, and, and this is us. You know, we're in a place, we want to commit, we want to walk in faith, but God brings, these, brings up to us these sins in our life. And the reality is, like Moses, we cannot deal with it on our own. Right? It's not that simple to fix your own sin problem. You could say, well, Moses could have performed the circumcision. He could have, but he still would have been guilty of his failure of not doing it in the first place. Right? He couldn't fix this on his own. And likewise, we cannot make it right. We need another way. We need an advocate. We need somebody outside who will intervene on our behalf. And so again, we see here another amazing picture where Zipporah is a picture of Jesus who uh, in the cross dealt with our sin on our behalf. Right? He intervened on our behalf. God was poised to kill us eternally, right, because of our sin. But Jesus intervened and he dealt with our sin. Uh, but this does not mean that we don't have a part, and our part is to confess. Not to fix, 
but to confess our sin. Right? So as God brings before our eyes those things that are our failures, uh, we, we need to confess them. And uh, just as Moses did, if we want to take those first steps, part of that is taking the step, I think daily, of confession. Right, of being honest, of evaluating our life. Um, and, and here's the, the deal. Uh, like a lot of times I, I go to confess and I go, okay, God, I want to confess my sin. And I look over my last day and I'm thinking, hmm, looks pretty good to me. <laughs> I don't think there's a problem, right? Well, you know, uh, just to ask your wife, right? Ask your husband, ask your coworker. Anything in my life that you see that seems to be a problem, right? Chances are they'll have something to say, right? Uh, ask the Holy Spirit. Right? Maybe we're good on the outside. But what about the inside, the thoughts, the attitudes of the heart, the pride, the selfishness that maybe doesn't get lived out? Maybe we keep it undercover, but it's there, right? It's there. Um, so we need to confess. We need to admit those things to God and to those whom we have wronged. And then we need to repent, which means turning away from those things and turning back to God. Committing to walk with Him in holiness and purity and integrity. What if we fail? What if we fail? Right? What if we did that and the next day we do the exact same thing? Well, the good news is you just repeat as needed. Repeat as needed. If it takes 20 times a day, repeat as needed. But if there's true confession and true repentance... God's power will come in and God will start dealing with those things in your life. Last thing, real quick. Um, get down to the end of the story. Verse 31. Um, it's not verse 31. Um, uh, verse 28. Um, verse 27. The Lord said to, to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and Moses did the signs in the sight of the people. Um, last step. Uh, last thing... Uh, Moses does is he proclaims God's love and power. Um, and, and it's interesting as Moses has taken these steps, uh, you know, after God almost kills him or almost kills his son, Moses could have said, "Hey, this is nuts. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna follow a God like this." He could have turned around and headed back to Midian, but he doesn't. He keeps moving to Egypt. And, and so that's what Moses does. What God does is God responds by keeping his promise and sending Aaron. And uh, so, and I don't know how they found each other out in the middle of the Sinai Peninsula um, without find my friends. I don't know how it works, you know, without a, a cell phone. How do you find somebody? I don't know. But somehow God directed his steps and they met. And uh, Aaron came and he kissed his brother. Uh, they reunite. And it says that... that uh, Moses tells him everything. Um, and then the two of them go together as a team 
to the to the elders, and again they do this show and tell. Right? I got some cool tricks for you. He shows them these signs, and then more importantly, Moses and Aaron communicate the message. Right? Um, what was the message that that they told? Well, we don't know exactly, but it says that that they tell all the words that God had told them to say. And if we go back, if we remember back, uh, God had revealed to Moses, "Look, I." I've heard the cries of my people, and I see their suffering, and I, I, have, I, I know what's going on. I've been there. I have been in their midst, and I know firsthand what's happening to them, and I'm going to do something about it. And I believe that that's at the heart of what Moses communicates to the people. Um, and the reason I believe that is if you look at verse 31, it says, when they heard, when, when the elders heard, what? That the Lord had visited them. And that, uh, and that he had, um, that he'd sent Moses, right? They respond with worship. At the, at the heart of the message, Moses is saying, look, look, God has not forgotten you. He cares about you. And certainly this had to be very welcome news for the Israelites who, you know, hadn't heard much from God for four, for 400 years. And they're suffering in slavery. And, and I'm sure they were thinking, Surely God has forgotten us. Surely God doesn't know what's going on. And Moses shows up and he shows these signs and these miracles. He shows the power that God has and he says, God has visited you. God has been here in Egypt in your midst. He's seen and he's watched. And I'm telling you, God cares. And he is about to move to rescue and to deliver you. What an amazing message. And it says that the people believe Moses' words, right? God works. And unlike what Moses thought, Moses thought, they're not going to believe me. But they hear this message and they believe and they have faith, right? And in the end, what happens is this, that God is glorified. God is glorified, right? They bow and they worship. God has visited us and he cares about our suffering. He knows what's going on. And they bow in worship. God is glorified. So what did Moses do? Well, in the end, all Moses did was be a bush, a common ordinary shrub person who surrendered his life to God and took very shaky steps of faith to get him from Midian to to Egypt. But as he walked in obedience, God filled him with his holy fire so that when he showed up, it wasn't Moses that moved them. It was the power of God that stirred their hearts. And it was the power and love of God that filled Moses' message. And as Moses proclaimed the message, they were moved to faith. They were moved with conviction to believe that God was acting on their behalf. So here's this guy who starts off with such shaky faith himself. But by the end, when he proclaims these words to the elders, unlike Moses, they respond with faith. Right? And they worship God. Final result is God is glorified and people believe because Moses simply stepped out in faith. Uh, and God's given us that same message, hasn't he? Right? The message of God's power and his heart and love to save people. That he cares for lost, broken, hurting, grieving, suffering people. 
And in fact, that he cares so much and he loves them so much that he sent his own firstborn son to die for them, uh, to pay the price of redemption. Uh, God has visited us and he is in our midst. He is here with us and he knows our suffering and our struggles. And God is moving and he wants to move to do something to help us. Uh, And that's the message that we proclaim. And he has power to do something about it. And the power is witnessed in Jesus' resurrection. The power that raised him from the dead will raise us to new life if we will trust him. And God sends us to proclaim that message to a lost and dying world. And like Moses, to demonstrate its power in our life. What we need to do is take the first step. Just in faith, take that first step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of grace and forgiveness, a God who visits people in bondage. And in mercy and grace, you you work to bring salvation and redemption. Um, You paid the price in the blood of your own son through the death of Jesus. And Lord, we, we celebrate that this morning. We celebrate our salvation that, that daily Jesus alone has the power to deal with our sin. And Father, even now we take just a moment to confess Lord, that we are not worthy, but that so often we, we fail and we fall short. We are like Moses and Pharaoh, stubborn, self-willed, And yet, you offer grace and forgiveness if we will just confess our sins, turn them over to you, and let the power of the cross wash them away. And Lord, we thank you that that is our message of hope that we bring to the world. Not our message, it's your message that you have put in our lips, you have put in our mouths. And that day by day we are to demonstrate that message and proclaim it everywhere we go. Lord, help us do that with passion, with vision, with intention, and with commitment. And even today, Lord, help us to know the first step that we need to take today to be moving more in that direction, to be fulfilling your purpose in our life in a greater way. Lord, reveal that to us and help us um, be committed to take that step, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.